Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Pantsuit Politics turns two today. We celebrate, reflect, and discuss the news of the week and listener feedback. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. birthday man that's a quick two years i can't decide if it feels like longer or less time which i guess means it's about right well i mean going from no trump to trump makes everything feel a little bit longer but i can't believe we're about it's been a year since election day that seemed that seemed quick to me yes i was doing some math this morning we've done over 850 hours of podcasting not counting primers that's a lot of chatting with each other. That is. I'm so much better for it, though. Me, too. And lots of good things have come from it. So as you might have seen on social media, we have another exciting announcement. Sarah, would you like to do the honors? We got a book deal in my best Oprah singing voice. <laughs> oh, we could not be more excited. The working title for our book is Keep It Nuanced. And we are triply excited because we're working with amazing women on this project. Our agent, Sharon, is phenomenal. And our editor, Jessica, seems great. We're super excited to start working with her. It just all feels right. That's kind of how we've, you know, after we talked to Sharon for the first time, then after we talked with Jessica, it all just feels right. Someone at my church yesterday was like, Congratulations on your book deal. You know, once you write a book, you're immortal. And I was like, whoa. What? That's, that's a lot of pressure. And yeah, she's I don't like, know about that. that. She followed it up quickly with no pressure. And I was like, ah, I hadn't <laughs> thought about it like that. Okay. Thank you. But we do have a lot to say. And I think this will be a fun way to say it differently than we do on the podcast every week. So Definitely. I'm really grateful for this opportunity. But we have so much to say. We're also launching another podcast. Yes. So The Nuanced Life will debut in November, thanks to the wonderful people who support us on Patreon. And we'll be talking about things beyond politics in The Nuanced Life, relationships and family and faith. And if you like our episodes where we sort of veer into culture, you know, The Nuanced Life will be for you. So we really can't wait to do that. 
So we wanted to thank some of our patrons of the month, and this is the Patron of the Month International Edition. Beth, take it away. So we want to thank Berta in Taiwan. And she wrote us an email that I thought was so interesting. I wanted to share this tidbit. She said, one thing that I've picked up living abroad is that American culture is a lot more binary than Taiwanese culture, which has at its heart the yin-yang concept, which represents balance. It's also a lot more collective. I was thrown off at first when I moved here that extended families might own several units in the same building, but it makes more sense now about keeping relatives physically close. I would love to talk more about that sometime. We really mm. appreciate Berta's support. Uh, we know that Max in Japan is a supporter of the show, Stephanie and Fraser in Canada. I hope that I haven't missed anyone. There are certain levels of support on Patreon where we don't have a physical address. So if you are in another country um, supporting Pantsy Politics and I missed you, just send me an email and we will give you a shout out as well. But thank you to everyone who supports us and especially to those patrons of the month international edition max is super close to my heart because he used to live in canada and he was basically my he used to live in toronto and he was my personal toronto um tourism director and he hooked me up with a friend who babysit again notice this theme i just had a podcast so i could find babysitters wherever i travel and so that my friends and i could go out on the town one night and ditch our loud kids thanks max again Whenever people ask me about doing the podcast, I always say that it's been amazing how much it shrinks the world. Yeah. Because when you wake up and you have messages from Australia and, I don't know, Seattle, and, you know, just I've, I've come to view the United States as a more close-knit community, and then certainly the globe seems very different to me because people are listening to us everywhere, and it's it's really humbling and wonderful and enriching for me. Agreed. And we also, we should say quickly, we also got an amazing write-up today or this week in The Guardian as one of the top podcasts of 2017. Yes. Thank you for the love from across the pond there too. It's amazing. And I was really excited because we were like one of two independent podcasts, which I'm super proud of. Well, let's dive in to some news and then we will return to some birthday reflections at the end today. We are heartbroken that there's been another attack in New York. This is the worst attack in New York City since 9-11, as you, I'm sure, know by now. A 29-year-old man rented a truck from Home Depot and drove it into a bike path targeting pedestrians and cyclists in what has we've learned has been a planned terror attack. He left a note at the scene with language about ISIS enduring forever, and that language mirrors instructions that ISIS put out last November in a magazine that it uses, calling for its followers to carry out these types of attacks and pledge allegiance to ISIS. And I have been so interested in learning about this person because, yes, he's a 29-year-old man. He's from Uzbekistan. He's married with three children, including mm. a very young child. And and that I don't know why that detail is always I felt the same way about San Bernardino when you have a family unit instead of what we might think of as more of a lone wolf. I, I find that harder to take. Yeah, it catches me off guard. It seems like, you know, I was listening to um, some reporting about it this morning. And he, at first, when he came to the United States, lived in Ohio in a large Uzbekistan community. And there was lots of reporting that he had a very bad temper, um, that he people at the mosque learned not to, not to cross him. Um, and so I think that I would not be surprised to learn that there was some violence within that family because it seems to be tracking with sort of general um, mental health markers that we see with other attackers. And there's also been reporting that he was really interested in sort of the superficial aspects of Islam, the beard and the clothing, but not in really the fundamental tenets. People mm -hmm. say he was very vulgar, that he didn't have a very deep understanding of the Quran. So um, this seems to be another example of how we use religious extremism like it's um, a homogenous identifier when it's not at all. Yeah. And our president has, I'm going to be honest, just sort of stepped in it again, tweeting that um, 
bringing immigration into the issue because this attacker won a green card lottery several years ago. He had not had any criminal or um, anything else to mark him as a worry at, during his time in Uzbekistan, but he did win the green card lottery and came over. So, of course, President Trump used this opportunity to throw political correctness under the bus and to, to claim he has that he should get the death penalty. What's really interesting is legally that puts prosecutors in a very difficult position to argue that he his trial has not been prejudiced when you have the president of the United States tweeting that he deserves the death penalty. It's hard to argue that he's going to get a fair trial because he's still very much alive. Um, and I was reading there some history of this with Nixon and Charles Manson. And it was and it also came up, you know, the president should stay out of it because of his bully pulpit, just like he shouldn't um, do a lot of things that he does on Twitter, but it doesn't seem to stop him. So, well, in addition to those comments on Twitter, the president also called our justice system a joke and said that nice. the process needs to move much faster. And I think it's another example of how the president just doesn't value fundamental aspects of our democracy. I'd be careful talking about how the justice system needs faster if my campaign was under investigation. Just saying. The other thing I wanted to talk about with this, he, the president has been talking about chain migration, this idea that people come to the United States and then want to bring enormous families along with them. Don't we want that? Yeah. Like, don't we want people in the United States to have a sense of community around them? Isn't that our best defense against people becoming violent? I, I don't I don't know. I don't see why chain migration is a bad thing. Here's my when, question. I was thinking about this when he was talking about this and I had several people on Facebook posting about basically like radical homegrown terrorists. We need to shut it down. OK, so to me, the idea of homegrown terrorists and your reaction to them can take two tracks. I don't want to force a binary here, so tell me if I'm missing a part. It's either people are people and something happens when they get here, so let's examine parts of our society that could radicalize people, or we should never let them here come into the country because there is something inherent in them, seemingly their religion, and that's why we should keep them out. Can you see why a country built on freedom of religion and its constitution would have inherent conflict with the second path? Like, I just don't, what are you arguing except for keep them out because there's something inherent in these people because of their religion as opposed to, okay, let's examine what happens once they get here. Am I missing a path? Well, let's be even more reflective for a second, because another thing the president, I mean, the president is trying to take that second path, right, with the travel ban. Right. But another thing the president talks about constantly and has a lot of Republican support for is a merit-based immigration system. And for me, the idea that someone is economically more meritorious than someone else for purposes of immigrating to the United States or is intellectually more uh, welcome in the United States has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not that person is likely to turn violent. Hmm. I don't understand why we would believe that a migrant worker or a truck driver has fewer values that would prevent them from mowing down people with a truck than an engineer or a scientist or an artist. What does that say about how we view success and virtue in the United States? And people just generally. And people generally. I think we're equating things that should not be equated here. Arguably, a merit-based system provides even more information to terrorist groups about what you need to do to execute a long-term plan than the lottery system does. Mm -hmm. I just think it's fundamentally inconsistent with our values and also wholly ineffective toward achieving the desired goal. I cannot add to that. I totally agree. Well, this is a tragic situation in New York. And, you know, I was thinking about this and about the Facebook and Twitter hearings that have been going on in Congress this week. And I had one of those moments. Do you know what it, you know what I mean when I say that you like can feel in your body that something is true? Yeah. 
I had one of those moments this week when I just realized, you know, ISIS isn't looking for a physical caliphate anymore. It's learned Mm -hmm. that it cannot have one. And Russia understands that physical territory has its limits. And all of that means that our brains are the new battleground. Oh, absolutely. And it just sunk into me like it never has before. Our minds are we are living in a science fiction movie. Yeah. Well, there's a really good quote. I feel like it's from a science fiction author that I read this week that was basically like the World War Three is going to be inside our own minds and it's going to be an information war. And there's a really good article that I have not read yet. Well, I guess I shouldn't say it's really good if I haven't read it, but a really a well recommended article um, on I think it's on maybe in the New Yorker called Why is the U.S. so susceptible to social media distortion that I can't wait to read that really gets to that that idea that like this is the coming battleground. And, you know, the Facebook and Twitter hearings where we're learning basically one out of every three Americans was, I'm going to say, attacked because I feel like that's what this is. There was an information attack. It was information used to turn us against one another. Literally, events based on racial um, discord and other sources of conflict among us, one in three. That's a pretty successful attack. And it's very serious. It's only going to get worse. And this sort of like, well, we'll just send our lawyers to Capitol Hill and say, oh, we're just a platform. We don't know is really starting to make me mad. So Tracy, our executive producer, said to me, you know, I never believe any of the ads that I see on Facebook and Twitter. Is is Congress saying that the public is duped so easily? And I think that there's there's truth in what Tracy's saying. And, and especially as you see some of the ads, like they don't look like they came from credible news outlets. But the sheer volume Mm-hmm. I think does start to mess with us. And well, I think that the it I think the sheer volume starts to make you call traditional media outlets into question more, right? Because that's what really happened in this election. Yeah. It's not so much that you believe everything that you see from random Russian bot account. It's more that you go, well, wait a second. Can I trust the New York Times? Yeah. Can I trust the Washington Post? Is Tom Brokaw lying to me? I think that that it's not even about convincing anyone of anything. It's it's about convincing us all that that no one is credible. Well, and I think we have to remember, okay, yes, if it's a sponsored link, well, first of all, like I said, some of these were events to actually sow conflict. So though that aspect of it aside, with regards to the news articles and the stories, a couple things. One, a lot of these stories were sponsored and then they disappeared. It was like a particular kind of ad they were buying. And so maybe think about how many people saw it scrolling, didn't look, didn't click it, didn't look closely at it, but saw it several times as a headline in their feed. And then they start saying things like, I saw it on Facebook. I saw it on Facebook. So that's the first thing, the sort of ephemeral quality of just our brains. Again, I think the idea that like, well, it's sponsored. Doesn't everybody know the difference? Look, monkey brains. Big monkey brains, little tiny people brains. So the big monkey brains are going to be seeing that in text and taking it in over and over and over again. Two, so let's say there is one person that sees it, doesn't care that it's from some random Patriot Freedom website, and they share it. So now it's showing up in someone's feed not as a sponsored post, but as a share from someone they trust or someone they like. And more importantly, Someone they know whose politics aligns with them. So it's not just the source itself of the news, of the article, the website, but now this person who's said other things like, you know, this person hates Donald Trump as much as you do, or you know, this person hates Hillary Clinton as much as you do. So you're like, oh, I do it all the time. I see people that I know post stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, I hope that's true. And then I click it, I'm like, oh, it's a lame website. But sometimes I don't click it. Sometimes it just scrolls through and it plants itself in my little brain, my little people brain and my big monkey brain. And so it's just this, you know, torrential downpour constantly until it soaks through 
everything. You know, there's so many reporters who talk about engaging with people on the campaign trail, and it was like they were talking about a different country. And I had this experience with my own father. It felt like we lived in different countries because there was this steady downbeat of information and stories and takeaways that were creating a reality very different than the one I lived in. Last year at Thanksgiving, my own college-educated relatives came in insisting that Pizzagate was real. So it happened. It happened to all of us. If you think you were untouched with it by this, I mean, re-examine. One out of every three Americans, and that just is who saw them. That's not who shared them. That's not who saw them on somebody else's feed. That's not people who came to these events they sponsored. Like, it's big. It's so big. Yeah, I don't think that we fully understand what happens to our brains when we look at information online yet. I think we're learning more about that all the time. I think we're learning more about what happened in this election all the time. I think it is wholly possible to toe the Lindsey Graham line of maybe this had no effect whatsoever on the outcome of this election. That's not really the point. The point is that it's been building and it happened during this election in a way that was deliberate and it was designed to create chaos in our country and that it's going to happen again and again. The AP today has just come out with a story about all of the people Russian hackers are trying to um, attack in terms of stealing email from them. And it is a bipartisan list. It is not limited to the United States. This is part of a global strategy. Yeah. And that's what I really started to internalize when I was thinking about how our minds are part of this our minds are part of the war on terrorism, whether we want them to be or not. We don't get to opt out of that. Yeah. And it's so critically important, I think, to be cognizant of that all the time and to more than ever resist being pulled into talking points. Because I don't believe everything I see online, but what I do know Stepping back from years of cable news, it has certainly influenced us. And you're right, Sarah, it influences people in everyone's families. It does feel like you're living in different worlds. And we can talk all day about that as a partisan issue, but that's an American issue. And what's happening on Facebook and Twitter is an American issue. I really appreciated Diane Feinstein in the hearings with Facebook and Twitter saying, I proudly represent Silicon Valley, but I am not backing off of this. Mm. And I thought The Atlantic had a really great piece that I'm going to put in our Friday email about how these country these companies haven't decided if they're American companies. Yeah. And they want so much to be global platforms. And, and in connection with that, you have to start to really examine, do these companies have any values? Hmm. Do they have any allegiance? Is cooperating with the Central Intelligence Agency different than cooperating with the Russian intelligence service to these companies? Well, those and, are big, hard questions. And let me say, I don't care how they feel. Those Silicon Valley, I firmly believe this, is a distinctly American invention. It benefited from our American society, our American education system, our American infrastructure, our American values. All of that is from America. So they might not think they're American companies, but I sure as heck think they are. Well, and they exist wholly because of American consumption. Mm -hmm. These platforms don't make it without the marketing-based society that we have developed in this country. Right. And I think, you know what, I'll be honest, too. I'm not with Lindsey Graham. I think we're past the point of deciding this didn't affect anything. If Donald Trump won based on about 30,000 votes in a couple states, and we're talking about one out of every three Americans, and we're talking about Russian intelligence attacks that were very focused on particular swing states that just happened to turn the election, I mean, I think it's foolish to think that this didn't have any impact on the outcome of the election. Well, I agree with you. The reason for me to acknowledge that point of view, what what do we need to do to unhook this topic 
from people's partisan ideology, because this is truly, I think, an an existential threat, not just to our country, but to kind of our ability to function as independent human beings. And if we can't all get together on that because somebody likes Donald Trump and wants to make America great again, I don't know how we move forward. But here's the thing. I don't know if now, if where we are at is unhooking from partisan ideology or accepting that there's something bigger. We're never going to get people to unhook. And so I just feel like instead of saying, you know, this isn't a partisan issue, I don't know the I don't know the way to phrase it because I just think asking people to leave that behind is like asking them to leave behind part of their arm. They're just not going to. They're not willing to. It's too hard. It's deeply on the level of identity. And so I think we have to either appeal to something deeper, bigger, stronger and say you can be a Republican and care about this instead of stop being a Republican and care about this. You know what I mean? Like this is important to Republicans because of these values that you hold as a party and it's basic to your identity. And this is part important to Democrats because of these values you hold as a party and as part of your identity. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I think that's sad. I, I don't think you have to discard. I mean, that's why despite everything, we still open the show with me saying Beth from the right, because I, I believe in limiting the power of the federal government, right? There are There are fundamental policy things where I am a Republican in some sense, but nothing in the party represents me today, you know, so I don't feel like I'm shedding all of that identity to be able to just step out and say things that are true and that align with values that are way more important to me than my values about the government. You know, it's way more important to me to be in touch with objective reality. It's way more important to me to acknowledge when a foreign power is threatening our country. Um, I, I feel like we have to be grown up enough to be able to do some of these things. And that's why I think I th- I think I really disagree with a lot of what Lindsey Graham has been saying and doing lately. I think his point in continuing to say that is one to sort of appease the president who wants to be mythologized in every sense. And two, to say, fellow Republicans, I am not saying that you were duped into your vote. I am not saying that you are stupid and that you can't tell a good ad from a bad ad. I am saying that we have a problem on our hands, setting all those things aside. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's just hard because I think we need to, instead of saying, leave your partisanship aside and be an adult at the table, say the good conversation comes when all adults come to the table, even with their partisan ideas. We need all these different ideas to have a good conversation at the table about why this is important. We absolutely do. And we need everyone to give their best thinking about what social media is. It's a hard question to ask whether Facebook and Twitter should be regulated the same way CNN and NBC should be regulated. That's a, that's not an easy question. They play very different roles in our lives than the TV does. And what they are is is up for vigorous debate, and it needs to be debated. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Well, since we were just talking about the election, Sarah, I have to know what you think about Donna Brazil's Politico piece in which, for those of you who haven't read it, she makes the case that the Clinton campaign wholly controlled the DNC prior to Hillary Clinton securing the nomination. Okay, so here's what happened. Last night, I read a New York Times magazine article that we'll leak in the show notes called A Post-Obama Democratic Party in Search of Itself. The, four, and the subtitle is, the 44th president left office as one of the most popular in American history. He also left behind a party struggling to find an identity and to reconnect with voters in time for the 2018 election. I have said this about Barack Obama before. Barack Obama left a decimated Democratic Party. Lost seats. And this article listed over a thousand lost statewide offices. Um, lost governorships, lost seats in the House, lost seats in the Senate, and a Democratic Party um in a huge amount of debt. So I read this article about a man who I very much admire, who basically neglected that part of the job, followed on an article about John Boehner, who maybe tipped the balance too much and was worried too much about his party members and not enough about the country and says so. I made policy decisions in which I was protecting my members and not thinking enough about Americans. Whereas I think Barack Obama did the opposite thought was so focused, rightly so, on the very important job of being president of the United States and not leader of the Democratic Party. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about where's the balance? Where is the balance between thinking about the health of your party, because it will protect these things you're doing on behalf of all Americans, and, you know, walking that fine line? Then I wake up this morning to Donna Brazile's um, piece. It's an excerpt from her book. So not to be a cynic here, but Donald Brazil is selling a book. Cool. Fine. We're about to sell a book. I do not begrudge you a book. But it very much makes the case that her, her main argument is Hillary Clinton was acting like the nominee before she was the official nominee. That that is not anything she did is not illegal. 
but it, you know, has an unethical ring to it. And she talks about calling Bernie Sanders and explaining to him that they were basically, I mean, what I think it's underplayed in her piece is this debt that Obama left the Democratic Party with Hillary Clinton, assuming what most people assumed at this point in time, which was that she would be the nominee took over the debt of the Democratic Party and started funneling her fundraising through there so she could do exactly what other parties do, which is raise more money. Um, because here's what's frustrating. In that Obama article, they're like, D- the Republicans do this and Democrats never do it. And then you go to this article and it's like, Hillary Clinton did this thing that we just said Republicans do that Democrats don't do it. Isn't she bad for it? That's what it felt like to me, right? So I'm thinking about this balance. Don- Donald Brazil is saying, oh, she was taking, you know, erasing the debt, acting like the nominee. Now, she was not building up the state parties at this point. But I can promise you, Robbie Mook's thought process was, I can't do crap for the Democratic Party if we don't win this presidential election. So the number one priority is to elect Hillary Clinton. Now, I disagree with that strategy. I don't think that that is, I think we have Democratic Party has acted like a presidential re-election campaign for way too long, including with Obama, and has forgotten about the rest of the party. I received... Absolutely no help from the Democratic Party in Kentucky. It has almost no money. I know statewide office runners who just felt totally um, deserted by the state party. So that is a huge problem. I don't think she invented that strategy. But I also think that, you know, in my head, what, what I'm saying the whole time I'm reading this is I understand why it seems incredibly unfair and unethical to Bernie Sanders. But I know exactly what Robbie Mook and Hillary Clinton are going to say, which is Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. So why should I feel bad? Um, so I just, I don't know the answer. I can absolutely understand why people are frustrated and angry that she was acting like the candidate before she was and felt like they didn't get a fair shake in the process of trying to elect their candidate, which was Bernie Sanders. At the same time, I'm so upset at the way Barack Obama deserted the Democratic Party. I do not believe, um that Hillary Clinton would have done the same. I just, I think her and Bill have a stronger history of protecting the state party. But then again, I don't, I, I don't know. For decades, the Democratic Party has been operating under the strategy of we just elect presidents. And that's sure as heck was when the Clintons were in charge for a lot of it. So, I mean, I think it's just, it's frustrating all around. I don't know if it's a bad strategy or if it's just reflective of our two-party system being fundamentally broken and the changing way we have treated politics in this country. I mean, there's like the study that statewide office runners win or lose based on the popularity of the president. What the heck? That doesn't have anything to do with anything. And it's just, you know, I think it's it's incredibly frustrating to read as a Democrat. I don't think we own these parties. I don't think this is based on some sort of, you know, big mean strategy based on for coming from Hillary Clinton. I, I mean, I don't know. It's just it's frustrating. It's frustrating to read all of it. Well, I'm not a Democrat, and it is not surprising at all to me to read that the DNC was working with the Clinton campaign as though she were going to be the nominee because that was apparent to anyone who was halfway paying attention. So I don't see this as some earth-shattering revelation. If I connect it to this particular moment in time, what concerns me about it is that it is a further erosion of trust. Yeah. That we – so you think about our brains are the battlefield. And you think about fake news and you think about how we don't believe in our government anymore. We don't approve of our Congress. We don't approve of the political parties. We don't approve of our churches and our civic organizations. And I think the more hits all of these institutions take, the greater our problems are. Now, on the on the other hand, maybe all this exposure is a necessary part of healing those institutions and maybe just getting the truth out there. And all of its ugliness and all of its detail and all of its kind of disputed what does this mean versus what does it not mean is a necessary part of moving past this moment in time. And I hope that that can be the case. I mean, I'm usually a big proponent of transparency, but I just, you know, I don't know. Again, I can see both sides. I can see that. Sometimes it's better if we don't know the ins and outs of every single party decision being made 
And at the same time, us not knowing the ins and outs of every party decision being made is what left led to a few people making decisions that decimated the Democratic Party. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about this idea of like how should people, presidents, leaders in both parties balance this idea? Because I think that I will be honest, I think the Republican Party is their balance is out of whack, too, and they care and have cared for way longer about winning than they have about policy and the American people as a whole. You know, I think both parties have gotten that wrong. But I don't think you can do it. Ob- I mean, but Obama, I think, went totally the, all the other way and didn't care at all about his party. And look where that got us. Well, certainly the Republican Party has gotten the balance wrong. No disagreement from me there whatsoever. I, I would 100 percent rather have fewer Republicans in Congress and have good Republicans in Congress um, and have a healthy functioning democracy than be part of a party that's been amazing at winning. So, no, you know, I'm not going to throw any stones at the DNC from where I sit. But having said that, not but, just having said that, I think the thing that we're getting wrong everywhere is expecting one person to do everything. Yeah. Instead of expecting people to be good leaders in the sense of knowing their own personal strengths and weaknesses and building teams around them to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. President Obama was mythologized as well. I think part of the reason Donald Trump has such a complex about everything is because not only does he have that complex in his life and always has to the point of putting his name on all the things and dipping (sighs) them in gold, but also because he sees the contrast with President Obama, particularly in the media. He sees the level of respect and, and sometimes worship people had around President Obama. That's not healthy for the country either, you know. And and as much as we, we could sing the praises of President Obama, especially compared to what we have today, that's not healthy either. A leader should just be a person who is really good at assembling a team and giving that team a set of objectives. And so I think the president, unfortunately, necessarily has to do party building to support the president's agenda and goals. I don't think that has to be at the exclusion of bipartisanship at all, which I think should be another critical attribute of a functioning executive. But that doesn't mean that President Obama personally needed to do that. I think his error was not in surrounding himself with people who are great at that. Yeah. You know, look at look at the DNC. It was Debbie Wasserman Schultz the right person to lead that organization. Not Apparently according not. to Donna Brazell. <laughs> well, and that's not. the thing. It's like he it's not like he had didn't have those people, though. That's what's so frustrating. Like, that's it's right. not and like you didn't have grassroots people. That's what your campaign was all about. How hard was it? But here's how hard it is, because those people pay their dues and they want a job in the White House or they want a job in the private sector. You know what I mean? Like. That's the problem. The people kill themselves on these presidential campaigns and then we're like, okay, go do it some more for the DNC. That's not fair either. You know, that's not a reasonable thing to ask people to do. It's just to kill yourself over and over and over and over again, building these grassroots organizations. But, you know, maybe the problem— Well, you also need a different slate of people doing it for different reasons, though. Well, you know, we've got to change that whole perspective. Is we want to outsource grassroots organization, right? We don't say, okay, during this campaign, go find people in Iowa who are committed and who are a part of their community and who can then continue this work. We send people there to live there, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't say, okay, let's go to Iowa or New Hampshire or Florida and train or, you know, let's find the people already there. We get the people from New York and L.A. and D.C. or wherever, and we ship them there, and they live there, and they have, quote-unquote, volunteers, and then they leave. And why? Because we're treating voters like consumers. Mm -hmm. We're sending people in to sell shoes, Mm -hmm. right, instead of having this community get together to discuss the options for who will lead the country. Yep. And that's the problem. Fundamentally, our political class, and I don't mean to sound like a populist here— But fundamentally, we have this entire class of people, professionals, who've worked hard, who've studied hard, who are smart people, some of whom care about exactly the right things, 
but they have data in front of them that suggests that the American voter is basically an idiot. Yep. And they treat us accordingly. Yep. And we allow it to happen over and over again. And that is why we are, we are where we are. Well, and because, listen, there these are multi-million dollar advertising campaigns the, that social media has made even more complicated. It is a it is a particular set of skills needed to not only run those campaigns, but now apparently to field off attacks from Russia. So how do we strike the balance between clearly there are some professional skills needed or do we just need to I'm all in favor of scaling presidential campaigns all the way back. Just P.S. Like I'm fine with just giving everybody like a million dollars. Do what you can do and let's just pick from there. But like, you know, that's the problem, too, is like at the scale they've reached. How could you possibly not have professionals involved? Right, because because these are enormous corporate entities now yeah. trying to do the most important work they'll ever do in startup mode. They yeah. don't last long enough to reach maturation, right? The team changes constantly. You've got people coming in and out and you have the media focused. I mean, if if you were trying to run a regular business the way these campaigns were run, it would be almost impossible, Yeah, which is why it's all such a disaster. And I think the only way that we start to change that is to get out of consumption mode. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what all the steps between here and there are, but I think the first one is to, as individual voters, become a lot more curious and invested in this process. I totally agree. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So moving on to a few pieces of feedback, uh, we got a really great question on one of our blog posts that I thought, Beth, you would want to address since you posted a really great article from Roxane Gay that I think gets to the heart of this. Um, She says, I just started listening to your podcast and I love the intelligent dialogue that you both provide. You already feel like friends, a lot more sophisticated than mine. What happens when a friend starts to date a new guy and she changes her viewpoint on just about everything? Really, you're a gun rights activist now. Really, you don't believe someone should kneel during a football game because they're getting paid and it will change how you feel, how you view football in the future. I didn't even know you watched football. I'm struggling to support her new love with her new outlook on life, morals, and values. (laughs) Yes. So... Uh, I posted this article from Roxanne Gay about female friendship, which I loved. And I think it's good advice for all friendships, not just women's friendships. But she says, sometimes your friends will date people you cannot stand. You can either be honest about your feelings or you can lie. There are good reasons for both. Sometimes you will be the person dating someone your friends cannot stand. If your man or woman is a scrub, just own it. So you and your friends can talk about more interesting things. My go-to explanation is I am dating an asshole because I'm lazy. You're welcome to borrow it. (laughs) So so that's on the side of your your relationship. I mean, I think the question here is getting more to like, I see this person changing herself, not just I don't like him, but he's changing her. And what do I do about that? And I think the first answer is you keep loving her anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think the second question depends on whether you are able to talk to your friend about this without trying to control your friend's decisions. Right. Yeah, if you, you can call someone, you know, if you can approach someone and say, my observation is that a lot of things about you are changing in the process of being with this person. And I just want to ask as your friend, is this the direction you want your life to be going in? Are you noticing that too? And if it is, if you are and it is, hooray. I love you. I'll be here for you 100%. And if you're not noticing it, I just wanted to call your attention to it because I think you're perfect the way you are. And, you know. And I want to talk about that. But if you can't muster that from a sincere place, you need to shut it. Yeah. Because that will come across too. Because that's the thing. It's like you can't be invested in the outcome. Like I always say, lying is not not something I'm capable of in this scenario. Like it's just not my personality. And so if you can just – if you can not be invested in the outcome. So you say, look, I've noticed these things. I love you no matter what. But don't think I didn't notice. I always say, like, I don't want to be the person at the divorce hearing going, man, I wish I'd said something. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather say it and get it out there. And in my experience in a couple of friends in, you know, bad relationships, what you say is not she's not going to be like, oh, my God, I didn't notice. You're right. Thank you. I'm totally going to break up with him. But it will occupy a space in her brain so that if one day she's like, I'm really unhappy. Oh, but all my friends think I'm so happy. No way. No Sarah knows I don't like this. Sarah saw something different in this relationship, so I can at least call her. You know what I mean? Like, it just becomes a little source of support should she change her mind or should she get to a place where she wants to leave the relationship. Again, you can't be invested in the outcome. You can't think, I'm going to say it and I want you to break up with them. You're going to say, I love you. I noticed this. I don't like it, but whatever. Do what you're going to do. So that if she gets to that point later, she knows you're there to support her. Anytime you're giving someone difficult news, your first objective has to be to uphold that person's dignity in the process. Mm -hmm. And so what you actually communicate is so much less important than what the person believes your intention is. And so I think if your intention is to be a good, supportive friend and plant that seed, like Sarah is suggesting, you should go for it. And if you can't muster that, that's fine. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just might make you a super passionate person who can't hold back, in which case you just need to tell yourself, I don't have to understand other people's choices. On that note, let's reflect on our um, on our last few moments in the show. Let's reflect on our two years of pantsuit politics, Beth. It's hard for me to adequately say all the things that I've learned over the past two years. I think that I probably won't understand for a long time how much what we do impacts me personally. The biggest one for me is coming to understand that I'm okay at the end of every one of these conversations. I'm okay when you disagree with me. 
I'm okay when our listeners disagree with me. I'm okay when alt-right trolls email me. Um, I'm just, I'm okay. And I think that knowing that I'm okay makes me so much more capable of digging into difficult topics. I mean, I think what pantsuit politics has done for me is I keep thinking about Ann Bogle's things about is the real world out there, the real world in here. And I live sort of a lot of time in both places. And our political environment was very much upsetting me in in here in my own brain. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, how I could tribute to it, how I could help. And when we started Pantsuit Politics and this community um, came together, it helped me sort of see and externalize that other people were concerned about it, that changing the tenor of our political conversation was something um, thousands of other people were worried about and concerned about and gave me really concrete ways to impact that and change that and improve that situation, which has given me such extraordinary hope in a difficult political environment and has really just made my life better. It's just made my life better to to know at any point that there are all you beautiful people out there ready to engage with each other, ready to be hopeful, ready to listen, ready to be curious, ready to love and give grace and forgive and self-examine is just one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Yeah, I can't say it better than that. And we just want to do more of it. I want to be able to give you a primer on everything. You know, I want to be able to sit down and do research and be as prepared as possible every time we come to the microphone and find lots of different ways to connect with more people. Because I think that I feel a greater sense of conviction with every episode that what we're doing is important because we have all decided. I I think there's this sense that we've given up on being able to improve our politics. And this community, as you said, Sarah, is such a source of hope that we don't have to. We Mm -hmm. don't have to. Like, we can, if you're sitting around looking at politics thinking there has to be a better way, there is. And and we can do it. Well, and here's the other thing. You know, I think you and I personally need to acknowledge how far we've come in the last two years. Like, we love this this pantsuit politics world so much it's so easy to get focused on like how we always want it to be better but man we are not recording in the middle of the night anymore we record like (laughs) during regular business hours which is amazing an unbelievable relief i can't even tell you unbelievable amazing development i am in like a real recording studio in my new house which is i mean a real Not real like other people use it, but real for me. We all saw it. It's awesome. So, you know, the professionalization of pantsuit politics has come a whole, whole long way in the last two years so that, um, you know, we very rarely get emails about sound quality. We've come a long way in that. And we have support from listeners. We have support from advertisers. We have a book deal. I mean, like this just how far it's come from. Just let's call and see how this and see what we talk about is amazing to me. And I have to really focus on that because I it's so easy to get focused on the future and how we want to get better. We want to get better. We want to get better that I have to take some minutes sometimes and being like, hey, we've come a really long way and I'm really proud of us. Oh, I listened to our very first episode this week. This is Larry. You texted me. I just listened to our first episode. It was weird. It was so weird. It was so (laughs) painful. Um, Yes, I agree with all of that. And so, Sarah, when you do look to the future, what makes you excited about the Pansy Politics future? Well, definitely um, looking to the future of our book and how that will open up the conversation to an entirely different audience um, who will hopefully join the podcast world. Um, the podcast community itself, just the the growth and the new voices added every day is very exciting to me. And I do believe that we are not at the tipping point yet, but that the desire to change the way we talk about politics and the way we do politics in America is growing every single day. And that gives me great hope. 
I agree. The addition that I would make is that I love it when we get emails asking us about public speaking and coming to different communities and facilitating dialogue. And that's really where I want our time and energy to be in 2018, because I think the digital world is so powerful and so influential, and I enjoy it very much. And I think that it is next level when you can sit down with people in person. And so definitely contact us if you're interested in having us come to your community or organization or institution of education or um, wh- wherever, because we want to be doing more of that. That is to me what feels like our work in the world. You know, like I love doing the podcast, but I don't think of us as journalists or a media company as much as I think of us as people who want to be, I mean, not to sound like way out there, but who want to be part of some healing in mm-hmm. our country. Yeah, definitely. So happy birthday, Pansy Politics. Happy birthday, Pansy Politics. We can't see what we can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you so much for being here with us. We couldn't do any of what we do without all of you. And it's always humbling to see how engaged our community is. And we just want to keep going. So thanks for joining us for another episode. We will be back with you on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Pantsuit Politics and on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsuit Politics theme music. 